How about if I just start at the beginning? <laughs> you can you can be honest. Because <laughs> you know what? They have the sweat equity that went into that memory that they're making with their friends and family. And that's what's important with us, and that's what the I Am Real World's about. Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the best things about a spring food plot is you get a second chance if it fails. Chasing Giants with Don Higgins. Brought to you by buyafarm.com, your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. By tapping into Don's years of experience, dedication, and commitment, Chasing Giants focuses on the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Now, here is Don and co-host Terry Peer. What's up, everybody? This is Chasing Giants with Don Higgins, episode 63, brought to you by Biofarm.com. Don, how are we doing tonight, bud? I'm good. How are you, Terry? Good. We are finally into the month of May. I shouldn't say finally because this year is just cranking on full steam ahead. Yeah, it is. It's food pot planting time. Yep. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about food pots, but uh, we want to clarify something to our listeners tonight. We're having a hard time keeping up with all the questions coming in, and we love it. Uh, We want to make the content about this podcast what our listeners want to talk about, especially relevant uh, to that time of year. Uh, So today we're going to maybe make the first segment a little bit shorter and uh, get through some of these questions and try to get caught up with what some of our listeners want to talk about. Yeah, you know, we want to make this uh, what the listener wants to hear, so we would appreciate any feedback that anyone wants to give us. Uh, it seems to me that the uh, submitted question session is the uh, the most popular, and if that's what people want to hear, you know, you and I can cut down on our, our chatter at the beginning, and we can throw more questions out there. So uh, uh, it'd be great if folks would let us know exactly what they want to hear, and we'll do our best to oblige. Yeah, we appreciate the support, and obviously, you know, neither neither Don or I are experts in um, podcasting or don't have communication degrees and, you know, are doing our best, but uh, we appreciate the feedback and how we can better serve you guys and what you want to talk about. Um, moving quickly, you, you got on some public land this week um, to, to try to, I saw an Instagram post from you that said you were uh, out walking some public land. Yeah, I actually made it out to two or three different days on some different tracks of public land, still looking for a giant to chase. And um, to be honest, I might have found one, but I might not have either. Um, I I know there's a buck that was fairly decent. I'm thinking probably 150 last year that he had some sticker points and such that I think uh, he has the potential to really explode and be something. But, you know, who knows if he will. And, uh, you can't hang it when you're hunting public ground. You can't hang all your hopes on one buck or one location. You've got to, uh, you know, spread it out. And that's what I've been trying to do looking at new areas and, uh, places I can put trail cameras this summer and just to uh, see what turns up. Yeah. It's a little bit different ball game hunting that public land. Um, how's your, sure. how's your spring food plot season looking so far? You got your corn planted before episode 62. Have you done anything else since? I just planted my soybeans yesterday. Um, anybody that uh, follows me on social media probably seen the post I made um, where I had the sprayer on the front of my tractor and the Genesis drill on the back. 
and uh, I was spraying and drilling at the same time. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna know, one, go ahead. I'm sorry. One one issue that I have, a lot of other people have, is browse pressure on my soybeans, and so something I'm trying is, uh, you know, if you plant deadly dozen, a lot of those plants will come back in the spring, especially you know like the rye and the cereal grains. And uh, what I'm trying is going in with a sprayer on the front of the tractor and spraying that and right behind drilling in the soybeans. And uh, my thinking is that those young soybean plants that are hid down in that dead vegetation after the spray uh, won't be near as susceptible to browse pressure and uh, hoping to get a better stand that way. So uh, I'm going to be posting some videos and such on on my social media that uh, you know people can check out and see how well that works. Yeah, we actually, uh, this is one of the things that we do quite a bit different with our spring food plots, and that's that's how we plant. Um, a lot of it's due to the area and also the equipment that we have. Um, but I want to I wanna stop and talk here a little bit about it. Um, I have not been able to work ground, and we've talked a little bit about uh, my situation here in Kentucky. I still plow um, with the, the clay to keep the compaction down. And also that's how my main use of weed control. Um, I'm not using a drill and don't have tractor with the big enough uh, capacity loader to, to do what you're doing on it. Um, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of people posting questions and, um, unfortunately there's more bad advice than I think there's good advice. So why don't we take part of episode 63 before we move on and let's just talk a little bit about the different scenarios for planting soybeans or other you know, spring plots and talk about the style of planting working ground and what we need to do with herbicides. Um, uh, for instance, I'll kind of tee one up for you. Somebody I saw posted a question about disking uh, grasses should they spray before they disc up ground that's got weeds and grasses in it should they spray before or after they disc and um, a lot of the questions were kind of or a lot of the answers were a little alarming in that post don't you think yeah for sure the answers were all over the place and there were some right answers but uh, there was also plenty of wrong answers and um, you know, people have seem to have the idea, or a lot of food plotters anyway, uh, seem to have the idea that you can just disc up grass or weeds or whatever, and you're fine. You just killed it. Well, that's not necessarily the case. In fact, often it's not the case, especially with grasses. Um, but that root system is still alive. Yeah, you've separated the top from the root, but that root can regenerate and, and shoot up new growth, and that's often what happens. Uh, if you spray that area first with a chemical, such as Roundup or, or whatever, um, it, it kills that entire plant, including the root system. Uh, so you, you spray it first, you kill those plants, and then you disc it up, and you don't have those live roots um, to regrow new plants, uh, be it grass, weeds, whatever. Yeah, those, so you definitely want to spray before you work the ground. Those blades on that disc are just cutting and transplanting living roots. Um, another, yep. another, uh, common mistake is people spray it and only wait a day or two and then disc it up when that you basically haven't killed that plant all the way down. Right. And the other thing that food plotters don't seem to realize is that different chemicals, different herbicides work in different ways. You've got contact chemicals like Roundup, which has to come in contact with the green growing part of the plant in order to work and kill that plant. And then you've got residual or pre-emergent herbicides, which you spray on the soil, and they will prevent weeds from coming on. Right. Uh, 
Um, you know, a, a good food plotter is probably going to be using both. He's going to, especially if he's got diverse crops, mm-hmm. um, he's going to need those pre-emergent to prevent weeds, but he's also going to need those contact herbicides uh, to kill the weeds that are there. Especially um, the areas that are having, um, you know, that pre-emergent is especially important for the guys that are dealing with Roundup resistant weeds. For sure. And, and you know, that, that's a great point. And this year I'm actually using a new one that I just heard about on my soybeans. Uh, you know, I really love the Gen 2 soybeans and uh, I don't think there's anything that compares to them. But the issue with them is that they're Roundup ready or glyphosate tolerant so glyphosate or, or roundup is the only chemical that can be sprayed over the top of them and there's a lot of weeds that have become resistant to glyphosate and uh so spraying those weeds doesn't kill them yeah uh this new pre-emergent that i'm using is called intimidator and it's actually a mixture of three different chemicals and um it was recommended to me by my chemical guy and i got some from my neighbor and uh, they both claim that they keep your field so clean that in a lot of cases, you don't even have to come back and spray over the top of your soybeans later. Wow. And they also claim that it works fantastic on water hemp, which is one of the weeds that uh, is really tough to kill with glyphosate or Roundup. Right. So you got to spray it really early in its, you got to spray it really early in its life. If you let that thing get hardy and a decent root, you're not phasing it with Roundup. Exactly. And this, this residual or pre-emergent that I'm using will prevent that weed from ever growing. It, it never gets started. All right. So we talked a little bit about the, the people that are just say they have a, uh, a uh, field and they're disking it. Let's talk a little bit about my style here where we take a furrow plow. So we uh it it it, a lot, it works a lot in the old areas around Kentucky with tobacco fields cuz we always put in a cover crop after the tobacco is harvested so you know we got a lush stand of winter wheat that's there and common practice for us is to turn that over and and let that rot underneath um that that phase of turning that ground over and letting it rot is about the same thing as spraying and letting that plant die. If you were to plow it, then disc it the exact same day, you're just moving those root systems around. Um, so, so patience when you're working ground um, before you're mixing in your fertilizer and, and planting is, is going to be important with either one. And uh, then the third option is going to be like what you did with your one-pass no-till. And talk a little bit about uh, some options people have if they have access to a Genesis drill. Well, I mean, I could have sprayed the field ahead of time and uh, just killed the vegetation and then ran the no-till drill over that dead vegetation. Um, I'm trying to do it all in one pass to save time. But, uh, you know, also as those... uh, plants that are sprayed are dying that's when that soybean is germinating so you know you got one plant you know ending the life cycle and the other one just starting and uh i'm just hoping that those dying plants will hold that young or hide that young soybean plant and help prevent it from getting browsed off by deer or or whatever and hopefully keeping uh, a little moisture in by not working the soil and breaking it um, right. You know, the, the point that I think is most important for our listeners, especially our beginning food plotters, and correct me if I'm wrong, Don, I might be way off my rocker, is 
our buddy Dwayne Hopkins, who's my go-to when it comes with anything with raising crops, even if it's not food plot, is he says, do it right the first time. So even if it takes you an extra two weeks, having a plan to combat weeds and competitive uh, plants against what you're trying to grow is the we get in too big of a rush and we skip that step and it always comes back and bites you later. So we, we talked about those three different ways, no-till, spraying before you disc, or, or turning the ground over and letting it set before you work ground. All of those ways are ways that we're combating the existing ground, but then I, we see people that are planting miscanthus or they're planting soybeans and there's green grass in the field. Uh, it's really dangerous. Yeah, I was just going to bring that point up. I've seen uh, multiple posts in the last week of people that are planting miscanthus are just out there with a cordless drill or something, uh, punching holes in the ground and they're punching the, the holes in the ground and it looks like it's in their yard. You know, there's, it's, they're doing it in the green grass. Well, I mean, they're going to get terrible results. Um, preparation of the seed bed is everything. And it doesn't matter if it's soybeans, miscanthus or anything else. And with miscanthus, the thing to do is you got to spray that strip where you're going to put your miscanthus to kill that vegetation that's already there. And then you need to come in with a tiller or, or work it somehow and really loosen that soil up, break up those dead roots of the plants you just killed, and uh, get a nice uh, loose uh, seed bed where those uh, miscanthus rhizomes can take root real easy. Um, and then you'll have good results. And, and site preparation is everything. If you try to do sh- to take shortcuts and ignore the vegetation that's already there and think you can just stick it in there. Uh, you're setting yourself up for disappointment and failure. Well, I think, um, you know, we, it's, it's like opening weekend when it's the wrong weather, but we feel like we got to get in the stand. We see that people's, you know, planting food plots and we're behind and we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. Everybody's situation and access to equipment is different, but no matter what you're trying to do, you can always have a game plan to attack the vegetation and or the weeds or the grasses that's in your spot. And you're better off waiting two weeks and planting the first week of June than trying to do something too quick right now and uh, and not taking care of those weeds in your seed bed. So if I can give advice to anybody out there, find another place somewhere in the year to take a shortcut. It's not with uh, food plot prep and, and making good, clean seed bed. That's for sure. So... All right, so if anybody else has got any questions about, I mean, we're getting good grief. I get 35, 40 a day when it comes to, yep. it's it's pretty much I just copy and paste the same answer. Um, sometimes people get a little bit more than what they asked for, and they're kind of confused, and I just put a little note at the end, copied and pasted from the other 40 that I answered yep. the same day. <laughs> but um, but trust us, folks, it's, it's worth the extra time. You know, it amazes me that people will spend – they want to put two acres of beans out and they'll spend a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars to buy seed. Um, but they won't take that small little step to, uh, to make sure that those weeds are killed. So, um, keep that right. in mind as you're moving forward. Well, and the seed can be the best seed on the planet, but if it's not, uh, planted in a properly prepared seed bed, it's worthless. So you got to do your part too. The seed can only do so much. Right. Well, I, uh, I want to uh, I want to talk a little bit about give everybody an update on Lester's feet, um, if that's all right. Can we do that real quick? Yeah, we need to. 
All right. So, um, to be honest with you, I don't know how many tickets we've sold. Um, here's, here's the thing I want to focus on since last podcast, we've gotten quite a few and I don't, I don't mean a whole lot, but something really awesome has happened. You know, I made the comment that this family or this uh, network of people that listen to this podcast, we really do consider them a family. And if, if this foundation can help uh, folks that have a connection with our listeners, that's even more special to us. Um, you know, we there's a lot of great charities that help people in different ways, and we've kind of found our little niche about where we want to help. Um, you know, it kind of started with the Ward family, but um, the cool thing is, is we've gotten some listeners that says, hey, we got a kid from a family from my hometown, or we have a friend of the family that has a sick child. So it, it's it's good and bad. So I want to be as transparent as I can with everybody. We want to know of these stories, start researching them, start making connections. Uh, the heartbreaking thing is, is, is our money that we're going to distribute to these families doesn't come available until we close the raffle down on July 4th. So we really want, if you have these connections of families, get in touch with us, send me a message I want to be ready that as soon as we get done with this raffle, we start we start dispersing this money. It does no good for us to collect all this and it's set in a bank account uh, waiting for the right time. So what's very cool about this is that we're connecting a lot of people and, and not only lifting them up in prayer, but also making connections. That way the board of directors of Luster's Feet can start reviewing these and making contact with family and finding out how we can help them. Um, I have had a couple people that have reached out and say, well, how many tickets have you sold? Um, I don't know, to be honest with you. I hope that as people are bidding on this, yeah, it's kind of cool for all the prizes and the hunts, but the more people bid on these um, programs, the more of these families we're going to help. And uh, that's really what it's about. It's not about the prizes or the hunts. That's just some cool things that we get to do that – people are chipping in but uh the fact of um of everybody wanting to chip in and help these families that's that's the cool part of it yeah for sure and uh you know we've i know we've sold a lot of tickets i don't know how many doesn't really matter um but the fact that that you terry are willing to make this you know part of the chasing giants family and and trying to help those uh listeners and, and you know connections they have families whatever um, I think it's just awesome. Yeah. Um, I got a box in the mail this week. Um, if you remember my friend, Suzanne, Susanna, sorry, that came up, up in, uh, ship Shawana and sat on stage with me and helped me with the yeah. mic. She's, uh-huh. I got, I hope she's listening. Lamar, I hope you're letting your daughter listen to this, but, um, she baked, I guess her and her little brothers and sisters baked me some oatmeal, like cookie cake with M&Ms in it and mailed it to me this week as a gift. And even though I'm already fat, I just wanted those kids to uh, know how much I appreciated. That was a very special gift and I really, really appreciate it. But uh, um, their family I've gotten, that's, that's another, (laughs) when you asked me to do this, I had a whole lot of reservations, but um, Lamar and his family, I've gotten to know them through this podcast and uh, just a special, special family and great kids. Love them to death. Um, that's that's the cool thing about this thing, Don. I, I just really like the connections that we've been able to make over the last few months. 
Well, I could tell when those kids came up to the booth there at the Ships You Want to Show, um, they already had a connection with you, and they only met you, I think, one time before <laughs> that when you got the wood or whatever yep, yep. Um, for the plaques and uh, for the SD card holders. Yep. And uh, those kids, uh, they were big Terry fans when they came up to the booth. <laughs> well, they, uh, they're my fans now because they made me cookies. So that's that's the way to Terry's heart is to make me cookies. So I hope I don't get a bunch of cookies showing up at my house but um but thank thanks so much for everybody uh wanting to help with the luster's feet um i i named this thing after my grandfather because he was my mentor my hero you know when you're growing up as a kid and your grandfather was a war hero he played major league baseball and he was a uh a law uh was in law enforcement as a little and a hunter as a little kid, that like checks all the boxes except maybe astronaut and firefighter. You know what I mean? So, yep. I mean, my grandfather was my hero and he had ginormous feet. And uh, I named this foundation after him as a way that hopefully one day I can fill his shoes doing good to, in, in the community. So for everybody to rally around this, Don, for your support, um, it, it means the world to me. And, and hopefully we're going to be able to help a lot of families out um, and continue to pray and, and make situations like the Ward family with Tinley and Adley. Um, we're still staying in touch with them. Um, um so people can help lift them up in our prayers. Um, it just, it, it truly means a lot. And uh, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank everybody. So before, uh, before we, why don't we go ahead? Can we knock out, let's go. We want to save time and get through these questions. Can we go ahead and do one question before we do the buy farm segment? Would that be all right for tonight? Yeah, we probably should. Cause I got several questions lined up, uh, this evening to, right, uh, so let's go ahead and get a question out. And once we get done with one question, we'll move to the buy farm segment. All right, that first question comes from Tim Wheat from Salisbury, North Carolina. Uh, Tim says, Dear Don and Terry, really enjoy the podcast, and thanks for all the tips. My question is about same time, same place. I recently was going through my trail cam pictures with this in mind, writing down notes on times and dates, and almost fell out of my chair. I have my target buck coming to the same camera on the same date within 20 minutes of the previous year. I also have other deer doing the same thing. It's almost unbelievable, but it is so true. How many years in a row do you have deer doing this? Will they do this every year? People really need to pay attention to this because I think it's one of the best chances to kill your target buck. I can't wait for my date of October 26th to get here because if the wind is right, I know where I will be. God bless both of you, and thanks again for all your help. Oh, how many years in a row do I have deer doing this? I think uh, <laughs> I've got several different bucks doing it for, you know, three or four years. Um, probably the longest that I can recall right off the top of my head is six years of buck doing that, uh, you know, showing up at the same time at the same place year after year. Uh, will they do this every year? Well, most bucks will. Um, occasionally, on rare rare occasions there might be an exception and the one exception that i'm thinking of is the buck terry that that showed up on my place in mid-october every year yep um but this year <coughs> he didn't show up until december right so you know it holds fairly true but sometimes it doesn't <coughs> i think this is another example of kind of going back to when you figure it out 
it makes a whole lot more sense and it gets a little easier. This is one of the pivotal things of targeting bucks that are five and a half or older that when people start really paying attention to it and are disciplined enough to either keep an Excel spreadsheet or log their photos a certain way or use softwares, um, this is a game-changing thing to people as long as you're not putting pressure on your property and bumping deer. Um, this is a game-changing thing that if people take a little bit of time and organize their photos, they can get a lot of annual recon. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's what I'm doing. I'm using my trail cameras as a to put together an annual pattern um, for individual bucks. And, you know, if most people right now listen to this podcast have, um, you know, tr- saved trail camera pictures of bucks they're going to be hunting this fall. Go back and look at uh, where you got those pictures and the dates you got them. That puts you a step ahead of the game instead of a step behind. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about discipline and, and keeping human intrusion down. Um, but I think, yeah, I, it's almost like we beat a dead horse sometimes. But when when you're putting pressure on your property, it takes tools like what we're talking about right now out of that equation because that pressure will make a deer deviate from that annual pattern. That's a great point. So, you know, when you when you are disciplined enough not to put pressure on your property, now all the stuff like this start becoming into play where Tim's going to be sitting in that stand on October 24th through the 28th, you know, in that that two- to three-day window and uh, and hopefully in the right wind getting a, getting a crack at this buck. You, you're tromping through your property all the time. You, this stuff doesn't these, – these things don't play as big of a card in your, in your quest. No, and you, you got to be disciplined to stay away until you till the right day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if the, the, if the buck doesn't show up on your property until the middle of November in the peak of the rut, well, you can ruin it way before the peak of the rut by stomping the crap out of your place and chasing all the deer off. Right. He's got no reason to come when the middle of November rolls around. So but there's, there's a lot more to it, but, yeah. you know, that sure puts you a step ahead, though. But I like what Tim said here, and I, I think everybody through their journey kind of goes through the aha moment. It's, you know, he said, I think he said, did he say he about fell out of his chair? Yeah. It's like things start clicking, and it becomes easier and easier, but you're hunting less. You're preparing more hunting less the more that these things start clicking and you fall into place. Right. Um, I think it's a great point. Thanks for the question, Tim. That's, uh, you know, he's in North Carolina, so... So all those people that say, I'm in Virginia, or I'm in Georgia, or I'm in Pennsylvania, it doesn't hold true like it does in Illinois or Iowa. Well, here's here's a guy right here that we've never met. Hopefully we get to meet Tim at some point from North Carolina that he's seeing the same thing. So yep. great, great info. For sure. All right. So uh, let's, let's go ahead and move to the buyfarm.com property of the week. Buyafarm.com is your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. Now, here is Don Higgins with this week's featured property. Okay, this week's featured property is a another online auction. Um, this one is in Pulaski County near Mounds, Illinois. Uh, there's 415 acres on this online auction that is in three tracks. The one track is 165 acres. 
Uh, another track is 170 acres, and then there's another track of 80 acres. Um, so you could, uh, you know, bid on multiple tracks and and have various size properties. Uh, but uh, if you get on the biofarm.com website and look at this uh, listing, um, you're going to just see that it's a sportsman's dream property. There's woods. There's a lot of small fields that'd be great for food plots. There's multiple ponds. There's even a 17-acre lake on one of these tracks. Uh, the possibilities are endless. I mean, there's numerous uh, secluded home sites, uh, just a lot of different things you could do. Uh, this online auction runs until Thursday, June 17th at 8 p.m., and the listing agent is Wayne Keller. Wayne's phone number is 618 407 one six seven nine and i'm sure wayne would be happy to answer any questions or show you the property or whatever you you might want but uh you know you can combine all those tracks and own up to 415 acres wow very cool yep so go to buyfarm.com search pulaski county online auction wayne keller 615-407-1679 and uh sportsman's paradise here people so uh we appreciate buyfarm.com for their support of the podcast um before we get to the 30 minute mark don um i'm running out of time i did hear this week that all of our amish friends that are listening on mtech they only get 30 minutes on that first day unless they subscribe so when you come on the second day I think, I'm not sure the number, but play around with your keypad on your phone to fast forward. So uh, if you're only listening to a 30-minute segment when you come to on and sign on to MTech, I believe hit either the 7 or the 9 number and it'll fast forward for you. So I learned that tip for all of our friends listening on MTech this week that I should have mentioned earlier. They're about to run out of time. Yeah, I get a lot of questions from Amish about how they can go back and listen to, to back episodes i guess mtech must change it every week right um so you can go if anybody that's got a uh iphone you can go to and listen to back issues or back episodes there you can also do it on, on the internet on a computer um through youtube or just go to the higgins outdoors or chasing giants.com website and you can find the episodes there uh, i realize that's not so easy for some Amish folks, but a lot of times they'll have a driver or something with an iPhone that they could listen uh, right. while they're being uh, going down the road someplace. One of these days, we need to come up with a way to receive questions from our Amish friends listening on MTech. So uh, I, I did get that request at the Ship Shawana show. So I need to be thinking about that, about a way that they can submit questions. So maybe we can set up a voicemail or something and they can call in and leave a question with their contact info or something. We'll, we're working on that for everybody. Yep. For sure. We appreciate all our Amish friends. Yep. All right. So, uh, let's move on. We got a couple more questions I want to get through tonight before we get done. Uh, the next question comes from Brent chapel from Milton, Pennsylvania. Um, Brent says, Don and Terry, great podcast and keep up the great work. My question is, do you prefer to plant clover in the spring or fall? Also, do you plant a nurse crop with your clover? I get this question um, a lot. Yep. Yeah. Uh, tell you the truth, Brent, I've done it both ways, spring and fall. I actually prefer to frost seed it in the spring. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll get my plot ready the fall before, and I will sow it in, in oats. 
and uh, sometimes those oats will die in the winter, depending on on how cold it gets. Sometimes those oats will survive into the next spring, but I'll go in there then in like uh, early March, and I will frost seed um, my clover seed right into that oat plot. Um, and then as, as things start growing, that vegetation, whether it be oats or weeds or whatever, starts growing in the spring, you know, I'll start mowing it right away. And, uh, you know, after three or four mowings, uh, you've got a great stand of clover and those other uh, plants, whatever they may be, tend to die out. So that's my preferred way of doing it. Can I disagree with you for a minute? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think uh, it, and you might be able to. You're more educated on this than me, but I think it it depends a lot on where you're at and what the weather is. If I have a, if my 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 thinking is if I'm in the fall and I have uh, the ability to plant something that I know is going to be clover in the spring, I'm going to go ahead and plant it in clover in the fall for the simple reason of that clover because it's not going to be underneath. A, a foot of snow for a long period of time here in Kentucky is going to offer more nutritional value and more diversity for those deer to eat, especially in those really warm November days. Um, man, in the rut around here in Kentucky, we get those 60, sometimes even 70 degree temp days in early November that the does just pile into and if I'm going to plant clover in the spring and I have the choice, I'm going to go ahead and plant it in the fall. Now they demolish it and you still have to frost seed it every year. But for me um, and my climate down here in Kentucky, I'll go ahead and plant it in the spring and not worry about the oats. I think I'm providing more nutritional value with that plot. Yeah. And, and to be honest, you can get a good stand a lot of different ways. I mean, you could, uh, you know, you could put the seed through a drill like a Genesis drill and in, in the spring, get a great yep. stand. You can do it in late summer, get a great stand. You correct. can work the ground, broadcast it, call the packet, and get a great stand. Correct, um, me if I, correct me if I'm wrong. You can plant clover all year long as long as you have moisture and soil temp, right? You can. It I mean, we don't recommend it right. in, uh, you know, once you start getting into, say, mid-May through mid-August. But anytime yeah. between mid-August and mid-May, you can do it. Yeah. So it just depends on what you want, what you're looking for, and what your climate is. I think there's a couple of different options to it. Don't think you're going to go wrong with either one. You're still planting something there that's going to be good for the deer herd. And there's not many plant species that you can plant both spring and fall and get a great stand. Yep. It's usually one or the other, but uh, clover is one of those exceptions. Uh Fairly easy to grow. Um, there's a reason why it's popular with whitetail food plotters. Yeah, it's it's easy. Um, if if you frost seed it every every spring, it's it's the real deal. Now, I do think that people are a little too quick to throw chemicals to it versus mow it. We've talked about that a little oh, yeah. bit on this podcast, to where you know everybody's worried about a herbicide, but if they just keep mowing the tops off and keep frost seeding in the voided areas they can control most of the weeds in that clover plot without adding any chemicals to it. I rarely, rarely spray clover. In fact, in all the years I've been planting food plots, I bet I've sprayed clover no more than twice. Yep. But I mow my clover plots about once a month right. um, throughout the summer. Yeah, the guys, and I get it, the guys that are having out-of-state lease that don't get to, you know, it's not a property that they're on every day or 
you know, there's the need to do that. But uh, just right. keep in mind, if, if you have the ability to mow it, you can do a lot of good maintenance with just, um, you know, a lawnmower, a uh, uh, bush hog, or a, a finish mower on the back of a tractor. Right. All right, Brent, thanks for the question. We appreciate it. Okay, next question comes from William Painter. He is from Monroe City, Missouri. Uh, he says, great work on the podcast. My question has to do with food plots. I know on previous episodes of the podcast, you've expressed your disdain for small kill plots and that the bigger the plot you can plant, the better. Most companies, including real-world wildlife products, offer all their food plot mixes and products in one quarter, one quarter to one acre packaging. Why do you think this is? Is it a marketing ploy because so many people do push these small kill plots? Is it price-driven to keep costs reasonable because most average hunters are not willing to spend a ton of money for some other reason? If you are not a fan of small kill plots, then why does real-world wildlife products only have food plots available in those small acre packaging? Is it to be competitive with the competition or just because it seems to be the industry standard? <laughs> Any input and information would be greatly appreciated. <laughs> Keep up the great work. I like this guy. Yeah, I do too. At first, when I, when I got this question, I'm thinking, this guy's being a jerk and I'm going to rip him. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think I that's it, the case. No, I don't think it is at all. I think it's a good, honest question um, and very observant of the food pot seed industry exactly um i i think uh, you know the reason a lot of it's offered in those smaller packages is because most people do plant smaller plots yeah i'm a big fan of bigger plots but you know not everybody's got a hundred horse tractor and you know a 12 foot disc or two acres to dedicate to it or two right. acres to dedicate to it. they might be begging a farmer to leave them an inside corner and that's it yeah so the packaging is kind of industry-wide based on, you know, what the consumer wants. Um, at Real World, I think it's, you know, a lot of it is uh, basically for convenience. Um, yeah, we sell our, our, a 50-pound bag of soybeans, does one acre, but we can't get that bag any bigger. I mean, how are you going to ship a 100-pound bag? Right. Um so, you know, even a farmer that's planting soybeans, you know, most of the time, not always today, a lot of it's in bulk bags or whatever, but, you know, a lot of times he's buying his seed in the same size bag that we're selling. Yeah, it's either I it's either going to be a one-acre bag or it's going to be an industrial boat, uh, bulk tote or bag. Yep. So, you know, in, so, your, in your small plots, it's just um, – while, while you're looking at it as possibly a marketing gimmick, we know that there's a lot of people out there that still can benefit. It's not, if I have the option of a big plot or a small plot, Don and I are both always going to take the big plot over putting spread out quarter acre plots all over the property. But what about the people that only have a quarter acre? I don't think it's right for us to gouge them and say, okay, you want the quality that's inside of our seed bag. You got to buy an acre of it and sit on it for a year. That's not right either. Well, and to kind of take this another direction a little bit, I, I do think that there's some things that are di that are done as marketing ploys, and and what I mean by that is I'm seeing small one pound bags of seed. <laughs> I'm even seeing Sample seed packs. that are little like salt shaker type 
containers, you know, that, I mean, it wouldn't, it'll plant a, an area about the size of a king size bed and that's it. And, uh, I do think that is marketing as much as anything. Uh, you know, there's, they're not using education, uh, to educate the consumer at all. They're just trying to take advantage of someone that, that heard about food pots and wants to plant a food pot. So well, they'll put out these small packages and, I know, uh, I know Mr. Painter didn't, didn't sign up for this, but here's, here's another analogy that if we wanted to make it a marketing ploy, or if we wanted to take it, you know, and just, if we were out for the money, do you, nobody realizes the amount of people that call us wanting to buy a half acre of soybeans and we don't yep. do it. And the simple reason is it'll fail. <laughs> we could make a ton of money selling a bucket or a half acre bag of soybeans and the chances of you getting a half acre of soybeans to survive browse pressure is next to nothing. So yep. uh, I'm not, here's the thing we get, we get criticized sometimes because we market, but trust me, if, if we were out for just the money and taking advantage of every situation, uh, we're smart enough we could do it if we really wanted to. And there's just some things that we're going to stand on our principles for and try to do the right thing and even tell a customer sometimes when they contact us, hey, that's not a good idea. I'd rather not I'd rather not sell you anything than you waste money. Yeah, and I do want to, in uh, Mr. Painter's uh, submission here, he, said, he ex- says something about, I have expressed my disdain for small kill plots. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do prefer bigger plots, but I also will readily admit that a small plot can have its place. I think uh, on the typical property, you know, I just got done with my consulting season where I was all over the country and looked at 80-some different properties. So I've, I've pretty much seen it all in every region of the country. Um, I think a lot of food plotters get hung up on having these little plots scattered all over their property. Um, when it comes to small plots, I think you should have no more than one small plot for every big plot. Um, so if you've had two giant plots on your property, you might have two small ones, no more than that. So I, I think they have their place. You can use them to really enhance a stand side in certain situations. But I think the vast majority of land managers have gone overboard with these small plots. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, you know, you've never said don't do a small plot, but the point that you're trying to make when you have the choice between 100 acres with six different small quarter acre food plots over it, what you're doing is you're giving the deer an option of where to go each day versus having one big food source that they go to every day with diversity there. So no matter what they're craving, what they want, based on weather, time, palatability of the plant, they're still going to that same single food source. Um, Mm -hmm. I think uh, maybe maybe that's the only thing that was probably taken out of context a little bit um, with the the disdain for small plots. Um, Your your comment has always been when you have a choice, this is going to be your decision every time. But yep. for the guy that's for the guy that's got a hunting lease that he's he's getting that farmer to leave an inside corner, um, a quarter acre, and that's all he's got. I'd rather him put that quarter acre in there 
of deadly dozen or clover, something diverse that's going to have attraction to it, than not do anything at all. Right. Yep. So, but that's Mr. Painter. That's I just want to say that's my kind of question. I I like that yeah. boldness. So I, I like being put on the spot too, and that's a lesson for everybody listening. Yep. Don't be afraid to put Terry and I on the spot. We uh, we like it. So, but um, I, I'm guessing that if if he's this observant to the food plot industry, what he's also probably picked up is everybody in their brother tries to dabble in the food plot industry, and some of them are are kind of ego enough that they'll go and they'll hire a Lee and Tiffany and put them on the bag to try to sell it. They don't have they they can go and steal whoever they want as experts that used to work somewhere else as, and and come and develop a food plot side, or or they can go somewhere and and a pro staff all of a sudden oh we're gonna we're gonna sell food plots and then next week we're gonna sell seasoning for your for your pellet smoker. It, this ain't an easy business, people. <laughs> There's years and years and years of research. That if if you want to do this and do it right and maintain the integrity of your company, there's only one way to do it, and that's not just jump in and out of this thing. Trust us. There's if people even appreciated how much work goes into every product that we sell, they they'd be astonished. Well, it comes down to you know the people running the company and the passion. You know, we're running real world. It's our passion. Um we're using the products that we're selling. If there was something better out there, we would be not only using it, we'd be selling it. Um, we feel we're using the best available and thus we're selling the best available. And you just can't hire that. You, you just can't go out and pay somebody to have that degree of passion. Nope. Um, you can go out. You better. can you can go out and pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to put a celebrity on the front on the front bag. And get on Instagram and make videos about how you're, how you're uh, going and and starting this. But come on, we'll, we'll move on. I'll, I'll get off on a tangent and say something I shouldn't. And well, every, we're just every, gonna feed off each other. Every so. everybody that's listening knows exactly what I'm talking about, and they're snickering right now. But we'll we'll stop while we're ahead and not get in too much trouble tonight. Well, I'm not ready to stop now. You got me fired up. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Go for so, it. Who pays? Who pays for that? Those celebrities. The customer pays, pays for, for it. Exactly. So they're putting the, cheap the filler seed. They're putting cheap filler seed, cheap garbage in that bag to increase margin, so they can pay a quarter million dollars to somebody mm -hmm. that hunts out of an RV. It's as simple as that. Well, real world, we put our money inside the bag. We don't have to pay somebody. We put the money in the product to give you a better product. But I will admit, and, uh, since I started working for you, our bags look a whole lot better. No, there's no doubt about that, right, especially right. that one you put my picture on. <laughs> That's the prettiest bag in the whole industry. <laughs> celebrity hunter, Don. You're a celebrity. How much, how much money have you made for every bag of Deadly Dozen that got sold because your picture's on it? Nothing. Uh, none. <laughs> <laughs> you forgot to ro work the royalty of you and Smokey yeah. into that bag. Well, I mean, come on, folks. Like you got to think about it a little bit. If some somebody's paying for that deal to be made, you're paying for yeah. it. Yep. So. Okay, we've yeah. made enough friends off that question. Yeah, everybody's. I'm. I'm sure everybody's giggling right now. Our our, our Amish friends at MTech can hit the rewind button and listen to that segment again if they want. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Are we ready for the next one? Sure. <laughs> Our next question comes from Jonathan Miller from Apple Creek, Ohio. I've been to Apple Creek, Ohio many times. Got a lot of Amish friends over that way. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if Jonathan Miller is not an Amish uh, gentleman. Um, Jonathan says, Hey, Don, I really enjoy your podcast and always look forward to listening to them. My question is regarding human intrusion on a property. Our property is in a neighborhood with little to no hunting pressure, especially during bow season. How much does intrusion in our fields during the summer between mowing clover and finding food plots affect mature deer? It seems to me like we're losing our bucks between the age of four and five. Most of our hunting is done on these fields with little to no pressure on our timber or cover areas. I'm thinking to, I'm beginning to think that our summer intrusion with tractors and ATV on fields is moving them off. As in your case, there are large surrounding farms with zero intrusion, so they're not coming back. Your thoughts. Thanks for all you do and good luck this year, Jonathan. Um, Jonathan, I do not think that your tractors and ATVs are scaring your bucks off. Um, human intrusion, people on foot have way more effect on deer than, than a tractor and ATV. If those deer can hear you coming on that tractor or ATV, they've got plenty of time to react and decide how they're going to react. Are they going to lay tight and let you pass by? Or are they going to, you know, run or, or move before you get there? I don't think that's the issue at all. I think uh, the big thing that jumps out at me from uh, your submitted question here is uh, when you say there are large surrounding farms with zero intrusion. So I talk about all the time with my consulting clients, you got to set your property apart from the neighbors. you got to make it different. Well, how do you make it different? Well, I actually like some hunting pressure surrounding the properties that I hunt and manage. Because if other people are putting pressure on their property and I'm not, well, that helps set my property apart. And I think the situation in your area is that there is so much freedom of human intrusion, if you will, and so many surrounding properties. I think that's hurting you more than anything that you're doing on your property. The deer just have too many places to go where they're not disturbed. I agree. I think there is a, an element of consistency you know, I think uh, if a farm is a farm gets used to certain things, right? So you can be on your on your place and mow your clover once a month. Those deer over the years have known you mowing your clover once a month and going around your bedding grasses isn't a danger to them, right? But you have a farm that nothing is ever on, say it's an out of state lease or whatever, and you go in and you drive a four wheeler right through it, and that only happens right around hunting season. I think that's a different thing. I agree, Terry. I think the deer are very perceptive to what the the human is doing. Um, they know hunting pressure from from you know a, a guy on his tractor farming a field. Totally different kinds of pressure. Um, a mature buck's just not going to waltz out there in front of either one of them. But uh, he's not gonna, you know, leave the for the next county with that tractor either. Right. So. All right. Great question, Jonathan. We appreciate it. 
All right, next question uh, comes from Philip Dodd. <clears throat> He's from Keller, Texas. Texas. And we've had we've had questions from all over the map. We've had in North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Missouri, Ohio, and now Texas. Um, Going on a whitetail hunt says, in Texas is on my bucket list one day. I'd like to do that one day. On one of those ranches that has all the exotics and hogs and everything else, you don't know what's coming by next? Negative. But I would like to go to Texas and hunt. Well, but uh, I'd like to hunt one of them ranches. I'm not, not a high fence ranch, but, you know, just one of them ranches where you don't know what's coming by next. Yeah, I'm not into the exotic thing, but I want one of them chocolate horn, really wide racks. That, that'd be pretty cool. Anyway. Yeah, I'd like to shoot a black buck one of these days. All right, anyway. what's, what's Phillip's got to say? We got off track there. Yeah, Philip, uh, he says, hi, Don and Terry. I spend a lot of time on the road and I've been catching up on all the podcasts. You all do a great job. Don, I started following you back when the QDMA forum was still online around 2010, I believe, and bought your book, which I lent to a friend and never saw it again. <laughs> the thing that stuck me the most from the book was if you were doing things right, you could expect an opportunity at a mature buck once a season. You have obviously kicked up your game a notch in the last 10 years. My question for you is about what scent control to use before going into the field. <laughs> How do you treat and store your clothes? What are your thoughts on ozone for clothes, scent blocker sprays after getting dressed? Thanks so much, Phil Dodd. Your opinion well, of this has changed since you wrote your book. It has. Absolutely, it has. Um, you know, Phil, at one time, I did everything you possibly could do for scent control including taking the uh, chlorophyll tablets that uh, were supposed to suppress your body odor. Um, they give them to people in nursing homes uh, to cut down on, on body odors and such. Um, and I can tell you they work. Um, I did, uh, I carried a bottle to pee in. I, I did it all. Anything to do, I wore the clothing. I used the sprays. I did it all. <laughs> And slowly whip it out just came to mind right there. I'm sorry. Yep. I don't do that anymore, Terry. Um, I, I did it all at one time, and I slowly and what I, I I was sitting in my tree stand one day, and you know I'm doing all this stuff, and I've done all this stuff for years, and I'm still getting winded. Get deer gets downwind of me, and despite all my efforts, I was still getting winded. And I thought, you know, this is a waste of my time. You know, I'm taking the fun out of, out of deer hunting because I'm going through all these extra steps. Let's face it, it's not fun to strip down to your underwear when it's zero out and spray down with some scent killer spray as you put these different layers of clothes on. No, no fun at all. Um, it, it's no fun to uh, pee in a bottle and be carrying a bottle of pee around with you all the time looking for a place to dump it out. Um and I slowly gave them all up. And today, I'll, believe it or not, all I do is play the wind. And if a deer gets downwind of me, he's going to smell me. Um, I'm, I'm just a whole lot more conscious about where my scent is blowing um, every minute of the hunt, basically. Um, you know, I'm planning my hunt before I ever leave my house. Um, I'm looking up at that wind sock that I got in my house to determine wind direction so I know what stands I can go to and have a good chance to 
to kill a deer. And uh, that's all I do. Believe it or not, I play the wind. You, you know, you ask about what ozonics and sprays and all them, do they work? I, I guess they probably do to some degree, but they're not 100%. Um, if they were, you know, we'd never get smelled. Um, Terry and I were just at Chipsawana where, where I was talking to the crowd and this same question come up. And uh, so I turned it around onto the crowd and I said, raise your hand if you use any sort of scent elimination product. You use scent elimination clothing, sprays, ozonics, whatever. If you use anything like that to, to control your odor, raise your hand. And essentially every hand in the crowd goes up. So then I said, okay, now next question. If you've ever been winded by a deer, raise your hand. Every, every hand goes back up. So, you know, that just goes to show those things aren't a hundred percent. A lot of times I'll hear somebody talking about a particular scent elimination, you know, product or method or whatever. And they'll say, I know it works because the deer were straight downwind of me and they didn't smell me at all and didn't know I was around or whatever. Well, that's where you got to take thermals into consideration. I, I, I use absolutely nothing whatsoever. And I've had deer downwind of me, if you will, not smell me. And think of thermals as, as smoke. So you've we've seen people burning leaves or whatever, and that smoke is going straight up in the air. And then we've seen people burning leaves where that smoke is just kind of hovering on the ground. And it, the, the ground or the area around that fire is just sort of permeated with smoke at ground level. Well, your scent does the same thing. And some days it rises. And if you're 20 feet up in a tree stand and your scent is rising, deer can be downwind of you and your scent can blow right over the top of them. They never smell you. But if it's one of those days where, you know, the pressure is, is low and it's keeping that scent down low, then they're going to smell you. So believe it or not, I do nothing but play the wind. I think the key point here is, is if you want to use all that stuff, you're not hurting yourself any, but, Nope. The, the logic that says I'm using all of that stuff, I can go hunt in the wrong situation is a bunch of crap. So, you know, we're not, we're not saying don't take a shower. Um, uh, I'm not going to wear my clothes into waffle house before opening morning of deer season. Like some of these yahoos do and smell like cigarette smoke and grease. Um, but I am going to take some precautions, but th- no matter how many precautions you do, there's nothing that's going to let you drop in from the sky and hunt the wrong wind and expect a five-and-a-half-year-old or older to, to give up his nose and come by you and do something stupid. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, Well, that's the point that everybody forgets about playing the wind is you, you got to give the buck a wind that makes him feel comfortable being on his feet, even if you could be 100% scent free. If that buck's not comfortable being on his feet, he's not going to be, and you're not ever going to kill him. Yeah. So uh, that's a very misunderstood part of uh, playing the wind. But, I mean, if people if people want to use ozone and they want to wash their clothes and they want to get dressed, I mean, I get dressed in the hunting trailer when I get to the, to the hunting spot. I don't wear it in my truck, but, um, you know, it's just an extra precaution. But there is no such thing as forget the wind and hunt. It, it, it's just not the case. You can do every little gadget and gizmo, and it's still not going to let you get away 
with hunting the spot that you shouldn't be hunting with the wrong wind. Couldn't have said it better myself. So, all right. Well, do we get, is that the last question for tonight? That's the last question. We went through five of them this right. evening. Well, I'm glad we, we needed to get through and catch up some a little bit on it. So uh, here in a minute, I'm going to remind everybody of the mailing address for the Lester's Feet. Um, uh, if you want to mail in a uh, a check to purchase raffle tickets for the upcoming charity auction, or charity raffle, excuse me, one ticket for $25, five tickets for 100 um, I do want to make a uh, a quick announcement. I did get two or three requests in the since the last podcast of companies that wanted to make a donation uh, to Lester's Feet. Um, they weren't really interested in playing in the raffle, but they really appreciated what we were doing and they wanted to make a donation. Um, I do have a way to receive that as a nonprofit charitable contribution for companies that want to do that. Just send me a private message or email me, and uh, I can give you those details. So if you're not interested in the raffle and just want to help out a family, um, we can facilitate that. Unfortunately, the IRS backlog is going to be about the first of the year before Lester's Feet is set up as a full nonprofit. So we have a local church that we're running everything through, so we can accommodate that if you want to get in touch with me. But if you're looking to mail in a check, so hopefully you got a pin by now, you're going to make the check out to SC Online Sales. That's Sam Cat Space Online Space Sales. SC Online Sales. You're going to put in the memo line, the Lester's Feet, and you're going to mail that to SC Online Sales at 1706 West Main Street. That's 1706 West Main Street in Robinson, Illinois. Robinson, Illinois, 62454. 62454. And obviously you can go to um, SC Online Sales Outdoors tab and find the online auction. Uh, we really appreciate everybody's help. I got I to gotta take a quick minute, though, Don, uh, before we hang up. I want to thank uh, our friends at Deer and Deer Hunting. They are actually running a half-page ad. They're giving up revenue in their magazine in an upcoming episode or upcoming issue of Deer and Deer Hunting and putting a free ad for this raffle. Um, that means the world to me because that's that's actually a company giving up, um, you know, paid revenue. And and we know that paid revenue in print magazine articles is is hard to get these days. So. Um, that's awesome. Um, thanks to Brad and the team at Deer and Deer Hunting. Uh, Don, you know, you, you write for them quite a bit. you got a couple upcoming uh, articles, both there and North American Whitetail, that people need to watch for. Um, we've had a little bit of a um, transition with our YouTube channel. I'm going my best to get these uh, episodes uploaded onto YouTube for all of our YouTube listeners, so we should be back in the groove on that here very soon. So, that's all the announcements I got. Um, you got anything else before you take us out? I think that's it. I'll be back in the woods this week. Uh, I got to go to Wisconsin. I'm looking at a property. Uh, I'm going to take the master course show on the road. Um, setting up a couple of properties in other states where we're going to hold future master courses. And, cool. uh, Got one in Wisconsin that I'm going to uh, set up this week so that they can get the work done and uh, you know get it rolling for uh, for those future master courses. 
right. about it for this week. How about you, Terry? You still uh, softball practice probably every day? Yeah, we got games every day. So that's the story of my life in the spring. So I got a, a good friend that's uh, with my back. Me riding on a tractor is not an option right now. So I got a good friend of mine that as soon as it dries out, it's going to work ground for me. Um, you know, good friends are hard to come by. I'm, I'm very blessed to have people in my life that are, that are able to help me when I can't. So, uh, other than that, we'll be bouncing around with softball practice and trying to get food plots in. Sounds like a full week. All right. Well, thanks everybody. Don's going to take us out with our sponsors. All right. We want to thank biofarm.com, 360 hunting blinds, victory Chevrolet, wildlifefarming.com, Quiet Cat, Matthews Archery, Real World Wildlife Products, Vortex Optics, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, and Vengeance Camo. Hope everyone has a great week. Later.